0: Stay on the porch, blow the, blow, the blow, the blow the whistle Where you get that from? Where the spin one? Let me hit that plum. Kim eight ball and MJG keep spitting that B to the IMP Fun B, that's Texas baby. Ballin B, that's Memphis baby. Short dog, that's Business and Buckets, fam. We are live, episode 128, coming at you on this beautiful Wednesday afternoon in the valley of the desert, and uh, of, as always, a lot of MMA to talk about. We got some PFL action from Pat last weekend, some Bellator action, the Ryan Garcia, Gervonta Davis fight, more UFC action like there almost is every damn week, and uh, yeah, I mean, lots of fun stuff. Uh, So let's jump right into it, episode 128. And before we talk MMA, let's talk the one and only sponsor here at Business and Buckets, and that is Fueled Supplements. So whether you guys are trying to run a 4040, lift 400 pounds, or just enjoy life for another 40 years, Fueled Supplements has a variety of products that align exactly to your specific goals. Go to FueledSupplements.com. Use my promotion code BUCKETS for 15% off all products besides whey protein. Once again, promotion code BUCKETS, B-U-C-K-E-T-S. And again, preaching to the choir, support small business. Just go on the website. You get high quality products, pretty much any kind of supplement you need uh, for a good price in small business versus going on Amazon, going to GNC and giving the big corporations your money. Uh, But I'm excited about what you know, field supplements is done to support me. What I have planned in the future as the rebrand is coming. I've been talking about it all year. Um, Good things take time, a little bit too much time, more than I wanted. But at the first week of May, I will will drop an official release date, putting a date on it, making it happen uh, as we will be separating the business and the MMA sides, two separate podcasts under the business and Buckets Network. So if you don't know, now you know. But let's jump into what has happened in UFC this weekend. Oh, and this past weekend, I got some cool footage of the Wave Cave, a little hike I did for the podcast intro. You know, everything's desert-themed now. We got the Antelope Canyon behind us. Lots of uh, 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 beauty in nature around the valley, so trying to catapult on that. But, um, yeah, let's talk UFC. So, and Figueredo has, has mentioned his wanting to stay at Flyweight not go up to bantamweight. Well, he is booked against Manel Cop for International Fight Week. That is going to be a certified banger. Can't wait to see that one go down. Uh, We have a main event for May 20th, Raquel Pennington versus Irene Aldana. You would assume this would be the title elimination fight uh, for the bantamweight division. We have Andre Fialho versus Joaquin Buckley on May 20th as well. Another banger of very active fighters. We have Modestus Bukakis versus Zach Pauga, the Ultimate Fighter alum, June 17th. And then a fight that's been dramatically rumored years in, years out. Remade official. We'll see if it actually happens. But we have Nasser Dean Amavov versus Chris Curtis. Action man Curtis. Keeping that action. All about that action. Staying active. He will be fighting on the pay-per-view event. And... No fighter booked yet, but Renato Moicano officially out in the fight against Armen Sukarian on April 29th. Supposedly, Benil Dariush was somewhat rumored the UFC didn't want it to happen, although Benil was willing to take that. Uh, but Sarukian, a very high-quality talent, would love to see him active and stay on that card. It seems like uh, time's running short. And speaking of uh, Benil, the reason he was willing to take that fight is because his fight got postponed to June 10th. In Vancouver, 4-289 due to the Charles injury. So it just got pushed back a little bit. The UFC wants to keep that intact. That's a better fight for Benil. He deserves it all. And then Jonathan Pierce was also forced to withdraw uh, in his fight against Bryce Mitchell due to injury. So insert Movsar Evloev uh, at UFC 288. Bryce Mitchell, Evloev. You, you can't be mad about that. Enumklaa. Washington local Chase Hooper, the young blood, taking on Nick Fior, May 20th, as he hops in here relatively quickly. And then Josh Emmett and Aaliyah Topir- Topiria is being moved to June 24th. That'll be the five-round banger main event in Jacksonville, Florida. Get, give the Jacksonville fans some treat as the governor there helped the UFC stay afloat during COVID. And then um, there's been rumors on the Embedded and MMA Hour about new UFC gloves. Supposedly, Kevin Holland on the MMA Hour said that the designer said it's a new design. Uh, He usually wears a double XL, was wearing an XL. Um, Gilbert was saying, Gilbert Burns, that it it might help curl your hands versus force them out, which will be good for eye pokes. So fingers crossed that these new gloves are the answer. Um, You know, I wish Trevor Whitman's gloves would be part of this, but it is what it is. And probably the biggest story in all of mixed martial arts The primetime event, the two men in their primes, Gervonta, Tank Davis, Ryan, King Garcia, this Saturday night, Showtime pay-per-view. That'll be in Vegas. And on Instagram Live, they have gone viral for betting their entire purse on the fight. Um, Who knows if that's actually going to be the situation. Either way, a lot at stakes. I cannot wait for this fight. This is the only fight I care about on the card. I know there's another championship bout. Uh, tickets are ridiculous right now. If I were to try to buy a ticket right now, I'm checking out game time. If you haven't heard of game time, I'm not sponsored. I shouldn't be bringing it up. Uh, it's a good place to get tickets. It shows you the price all in with fees and it's a good time to try to get like last minute tickets. See if you get a discount, things of that nature. So let's go to Las Vegas. Sports cheapest ticket right now, $612. It's actually not that bad. It was a lot more previously, you know, if, if tickets really streamed out, I would, I would think about it, but I'm going to Lake Havasu for the first time this weekend with my family. It's going to be a great time getting beautiful out here, get some sunshine, get get a little bit more darker um, and, and have some fun on the water, but huge event this weekend. Showtime pay-per-view. The, the fight will probably happen around 10, 10 p.m. Pacific time, 9 p.m. maybe. So tune in if you can. I know I will be trying to, to uh, stream that bad boy. This past weekend, we had PFL 3 where Megomed Umolatov, he moves to 13-0, stays undefeated, gets the easy first-round knockout over Delano Taylor. Looks like a solid competitor um, and, and someone that the PFL can promote and Megomed um, um, Shane Burgos was the highlight of the weekend for me. How can he do? He's moving up in weight classes, he's fighting an ex UFC fighter and a, a guy that's known for his grappling. But a lot of the ex UFC guys have gone into the PFL and have not got the decisions that you would expect or that I usually root for. Well, Oliver Albin Mercier defeats Shane Burgos via unanimous decision. And when it was standing, Shane did work. He did what you would expect, but OAM put him up against the cage, looked to get takedowns, and really just kind of smothered him, and he didn't really get to open up. The last 30 seconds, he unloaded, and if this was a striking affair, we would know the results. This is not the official season for Shane Burgos. This was just a one-off bout, um, but interesting to see how that ends up playing out. Tough first opponent, but Shane Burgos should be the guy that the PFL lives off of. Uh, Clay Collard defeats Yamato Nishikawa via unanimous decision. Clay Collard's a pretty good uh, competitor, been around the PFL for some time. The champion, Sadabu C, si, defeats Jara Al versus via second round TKO. He's looking good. He gets some points as he goes and tries to get another million. And then Megomed Megomed Kirimov defeats Ben Eagley via round one knockout as well. So lots of early knockouts, early finishes. Really good by Megomed, him and Sado B.C. It'll be interesting to see how they match up. Natan Schulte defeats Stevie Ray, v unanimous decision. Ray's been around there for quite some time. Pretty good fights. You got some good knockouts, but again, they got Randy Couture. They got Kenny Florian. Just the production and everything, it's just stale. They need to liven it up a little bit, and I'm not too sure what the answers are there. You got Jake Paul in there. There's going to be a lot of changes. They're trying to be a disruptor. It's still not something that I'm like must-see TV. I haven't watched a lot of these live. As an ESPN Plus subscriber, I could go back and watch them. And it's, it's just kind of meh. Um, speaking of meh, the Bellator. I've talked about trying to get more and more into Bellator. This weekend, 295, some big fights coming up. Let's see if they can uh, change my mind a little bit. The problem is, is also they do Showtime pay-per-view, and I'm not paying for Bellator. So I try to stream them, watch them via YouTube. Uh, the prelims are on there. But uh, we have Rafion Stotts taking on Patchy Mix for the belt. Uh, that's a high-level bout that, you know, should deliver. We have Aaron Pico versus Otto Rodriguez. Kaioji Horaguchi versus Ray Borg. Oddly um, Edwards versus Kai Kamaka, who's been around for quite some time, him and Ray Borg. And then Charlie Leary versus Yancy Medeiros, some ex-UFC blood in there. Let's see if 295 can deliver Um, as UFC Fight Night Kansas City did deliver. You knew it was going to with that that featherweight headliner. I went four and six on picks, one of the worst cards I've had in a long time. Um, I'm usually like three fights wrong or so, Um, but uh, this was an interesting card, and I I didn't put a lot of these fights. You know, When I say, hey, put them on the parlay, it's like I'm pretty confident in this fight. Put them in any kind of mix of parlays you want. As I rebrand, I will show my bets more um, transparently. transparently. I give you my picks. I'm telling you how like, the confidence meter by parlaying them or not. Um, and a lot of these guys I wouldn't have put any money on and didn't. And I'm glad I didn't. Some fights that we did not break down that was decent. We had Denise Gomes with a round two TKO over Bruna Brazil. Good finish for the, uh, for the woman fighter. And then the very dramatic... It really interesting fight. It looked like a backyard brawl with the hometown Zach Cummings defeating Ed Herman. They both retired. They both gave it their all. They put everything on the line right there for him to um, retire in front of his home crowd and Ed Herman to go out with a banger. You know, Blessings to those guys and all the fights they delivered for us. Some OGs in the sport, absolutely. And Kansas City was loving it. Loving the moment. We're going to start in the prelims where there was a fight that I did pick correctly, Jillian Robertson with a round two submission via armbar over Pieta Rodriguez. This was performance of the night. Slight 50 Gs. Uh, Jillian posted the post-fight victory blunt or uh, joint that she was smoking. And uh, people are making fun of Sean O'Malley because she had the red corn rolls that this is... Uh, I thought that was Sean O'Malley turning to a woman for a second. Ha ha ha. You know, the laughs were there. Um, but Jillian... You know, making work out of the grappling game like she always does. She looked pretty solid on the feet. Piera ended up having a takedown, but the takedown was Jillian pulling guard first round just to be able to get close into range with Piera. Um, Rodriguez has had a, a pretty good, you know, record of, of power and finishing. Jillian was smart to not want to deal with that and was able to reverse her, get in control. The second round got the takedown, was able to get the nifty arm bar after so much control. And, and really just dominated the fight on the ground, as Jillian typically does. Statistically, Jillian landed 46 total strikes, 26 of those significant. She had two takedowns and three attempts and a submission attempt. And then Pierre landed 25 total strikes, so quite a bit less, 12 of those significant. She had one takedown of her own, although it was really Jillian pulling guard. So Jillian extends her winning streak to two. She is three and two since the beginning of 2021. Somewhat active, not super active. And then uh, this was her first fight at strawweight for the first time in quite a few years. Will be interesting to see if she stays there. And Pieta suffers her first loss um, and has her nine-fight winning streak come to an end. Her UFC record is 3-1, and so she's still on track that it was a very tough opponent. So if Jillian does stay at strawweight, I'm going to say give me Jillian, give me Lupi Godinez, who just recently won as well. I think that would be a great matchup. And then Pierre versus Ariane Carnelosi. That would make sense. Either way, Jillian's uh, back on a tear. Got the momentum in her corner. Her and Dean Thomas. Can't wait to see what she does next. And then we had the flyweight showdown, the disrespectful prelim flyweight showdown of two super high-level fighters. And as High level as both of these guys are, Brandon Royval showed he's a dog. He's raw dog. He got the first round knockout over Matheus Nicolau. Performance of the night 50. Jeez, put some respect on this man's name. And as you've watched Brandon Royval evolve in the UFC, it's been fun. What I love about the UFC is these are regular fucking people that are just their work ethic, their dedication to the craft is unreal. And the rewards aren't that high. And they get to put on a show for a lot of us fight fans. I mean, uh, coming into the UFC, he was an LFA champion. He was the interim. He won the vacant flyweight. He lost to Casey Kenny for the LFA flyweight champion at first. Ended up winning it against Nate Williams via armbar in LFA. Comes into the UFC, gets Tim Elliott, a very tough fighter. Gets fight of the night victory with a submission via arm triangle. Then he moves in and gets Kara France, who in September of 2020, we didn't know as much of, but he's a very high-level fighter. Finishes him via guillotine choke. Another fight of the night. This guy's on a tear. So they give him a shot against Brandon Moreno. He gets uh, TKO'd in the first round. Then he gets Alexander Pantoja the next year, almost a year later, and takes a loss via rear naked choke. Comes in early 2022, beats Rogerio Bontorin, who's a very good fighter via split decision. He was a flyweight contender, then beats, um, Matt Schnell fight of the night. This guy's full of fight of the nights early 22, 2022 in May, and then has this performance in 2023. So he's fought twice in 2022, but usually once a year and coming through the Bontorin fight after those losses, you could see he was still maturing. I mean, he is just now 30 years old and he did not have that killer instinct confidence that you have to have as a fighter. When he beat Bontorn, it looked like he was almost surprised in the performance that he had. Finishing match Snell, again, you could see some of that. Now he has the confidence. After this fight, he said, "Don't ever put me on the prelims again. I'm here. I'm the fucking man." And you could see that feeding of the subconscious per se that he is just, you know, trained for this. He's he's been putting this in the universe, and it was fantastic to see what a fucking knockout—the knee up the middle. It was nasty. <laughs> Um, and, and, Rod Dog is, cu- he's coming out and he deserves to fight for the title, but this is just so awesome to see the development of a fighter like this. And again, the fact that this was on the prelims, Dana White said in the post UFC presser, how that's a fuck up. And, uh, you know, Methus is a fucking problem. He's still going to be a problem. He's going to come back. He's also 30 years old, but Brandon Royval, the star of the night, that performance, that vicious knockout in front of a crazy Kansas city crowd who showed out. You got, it, you got to love it, and I can't wait to see what happens with Pantoya Moreno and, and how Brandon, his leveling up, serves him in a rematch with one of those guys. And statistically, not a lot to talk about. Brandon only landed 13 total insignificant, and Methus will, with the knockdown, only landed two total insignificant. Usually a counter-striker did not get many opportunities. So Brandon extends his winning streak to three. After those back-to-back losses against Moreno and Pantoya, he stays at number four in the rankings. Methus has his impressive six-fight winning streak come to an end. He does start a new losing streak, but stays at number five. Um, what's next? So I believe Brandon earned the right to fight the winner. I- I've already talked about that, of Brandon, uh, Moreno, and Pantoya. And for Methus, how about Kai of France, who's also coming off a loss, Um, I think that would make a ton of sense. These two fight, they could potentially be one of the next guys in for the title. Um, But we're going to see a lot more of these two. But what a show out by Brandon Rodag Royval. Fuck yeah. Speaking of fuck yeah, we had Bill Algeo with a second round submission via rear naked choke over TJ Brown. Fight of the night. Pretty deservingly so. I would have gave the main event fight of the night, but they probably wanted to spread the wealth because Max Holloway, Always gets fight of the night or some sort of bonus. But I mean, TJ came out aggressive, trying to stock Bill down, push him against the cage. Bill was aggressive in his striking. He was just the faster striker. I feel like he has a little bit higher of an IQ and, and uh, just moves around the octagon better. But TJ's definitely improved from a grappler first. He's definitely shown the confidence. He's changed up fight camps and, and, and he looks solid. But Bill was able to take advantage in the second, get that neck, and that was all she wrote as they had emptied the fucking tank in the first round and why they deserve fight of the night. I mean, statistically, you know, this is like a round and a quarter's worth. Bill landed 77 total strikes, 64 of them things significant. He did have a takedown and a submission attempt plus the knockdown. And TJ landed 49 total and 46 of those significant. So was landing some big shots. He had one takedown and two attempts and a reversal himself. So this fight was pretty much straight chaos. And Bill starts a new winning streak. He is three and one since the beginning of 2022. So he's been quite active on a good streak here. TJ also being an active fighter, he does start a new losing streak and moves to two and two since the beginning of 2022. So what's next for these gents? Give me Bill versus Josh Kulabau. I think that's the fight to make. Another guy coming off a win. And TJ could square up against Austin Lingo, who just recently took that short notice bout and took an L I think those would be great matchups but for me honestly you know as great as the fight this was the, the fight of the night this the story was Bill's weird fucking dark humor saying Kansas City it sounded like a well all I he's like I would never want to retire here after the dual retirement you look like a bunch of you know diet Pepsi couch loving football watching bums or something like that So I don't know if that was a joke, a dark humor, if he really fucking hates Kansas City or what, but Bill Algeo coming out with the, if I'm a Kansas City fan, I'm talking all the shit. I want that smoke. But that's in the prelims. Moving into the main card, we had Rafa Garcia with unanimous decision over Clay Guida. And as much as I love Clay Guida, I ended up picking him. I kind of regret that. You know, I picked Bill, I picked Brandon, and I picked Jillian, so I started good. I just, I don't know. I, I, was, I thought we were going to see another retirement. He was slower. He wasn't looking confident. Rafa was coming out with a couple of combo, you know, a couple punches, a one-two, maybe some kicks. And, and Guido was just, you know, one punching back, never really pushed the pace, didn't look confident, didn't look to try to get the takedowns early because Rafa's jab was working and it was stiffening up clay. And he never changed anything after round one, after round two, you could hear his coaches trying to motivate him, but sometimes you're just in that rut. We've seen that with a few fighters lately. That was clay. And uh, I just don't know what he wants more out of his career at this point. Uh, To me, he's just damaging his body, which, which is not a good thing. But at the end of the fight, he was taking off the gloves. It looked like he got the moment. He asked for the mic and he wanted to shout out his mom for the birthday and all that. You know, as a fan, I don't take too much against it, but I know that will not help him in the Dana white corner and the, the, the head honcho's corner, they have a tight schedule to run on the main card as a pay-per-view. He took a lot of time away. It's not comfortable for DC to have to handle that in a post-fight interview, but uh, it is what it is. I'll be interested to see what his next fight is, but there cannot be very many left. And uh, this performance just just was not that, that's for sure. And, you know, after him beating Scott Holtzman, who also retired, he looked good, but this, this wasn't it. And props to Rafa, he needs to get the credit as well. So Clay landed 63 total strikes, and significant, while going 0 for 3 in takedown attempts. And Rafa landed 143 total, 141 of those significant. So more than doubled the volume. He was 0 for 1 in takedown attempts himself. Rafa extends his winning streak to two. He is 3 and 1 since the beginning of 2022. And Clay, at 41 years old, obviously not really seemingly interested in retirement. Starts a new losing streak. He is one and two since the beginning of 2022. So if Clay is to fight again, which I'm I'm assuming he is, how about Mark DeCasey, who just lost to an older veteran in Michael Johnson? That could be a good opponent for a potential retirement fight. That's just me. You know, I don't want to force Clay into retirement. And uh, I don't know how many fights are left on his deal, but that, that would make sense. And for Rafa, how about Mike Davis, who's also on a streak? Then we go into the bantamweights, man. Pedro motherfucking Munoz with the unanimous decision over Chris Gutierrez, and I did pick Chris because there's just so many unknowns with Pedro, but when Pedro is Pedro like he was that night, god damn, it's a good thing, and the story of this fight to me was the inactivity of Chris, but I think it was that big fucking right hand that Pedro landed that sat Chris the fuck down, and, and he had him fighting scared, you know, I've never been in a three round affair where you get rocked like that. And you, where is your mentality? You know, even though you have the time to recover, you're with your corner. Like how much are you actually there? Cause he got fucking rocked, but also, you know, how much does that just change up the pace of like forgetting about your game plan, having the confidence and just trying to react and watch that right. And play defensively. I think that's a, a lot of what happened. He was not using his range. Cause he's definitely longer and lengthier than Pedro. And he has such vicious kicks. Those big kicks are what has put Chris in the rankings and has made him a bantamweight problem. And we didn't see much of those at all. So the big shot Pedro early paid off. And uh, people are going to need to put some respect back on Pedro's name. He's been around for a long time, but he's still a fucking problem. Uh, Pedro landed 74 total strikes, 60 of those significant. Got a knockdown and was 0 for 1 in takedowns. Well, Chris landed 79 total and 77 significant. So he ended up landing a little bit more volume, which I do not remember that at all. Uh, It seemed like he was hesitant. But I think if I remember in round three being down two rounds, he started, you know, peppering him up. None of those were were super big shots. So Pedro starts a new winning streak. He is 2-2-1 since the beginning of 2021. He stays at nine in the rankings. And then Chris starts a new losing streak, has his four-fight winning streak come to an end. And he was really on a seven-fight winning streak, if you think about it. He did have a draw in between. Um, but to me, it was a seven-fight winning streak, and he stays uh, at number 13 as well. But how about Pedro, man? If I'm Pedro, I'm trying to keep the good vibes going. I'm getting back into action this summer on a big card. I would love to see him square up against Umar Nurmagomedov or Adrian Yanez, another younger guy who just come off a loss but would be a good opponent, ranked opponent. And for Chris, how about Davey Grant? That would be awesome. Either way, excited for anything in the bantamweight division, especially these two studs. And then moving on, we had Ion Kutalaba with a first-round TKO over Tanner Bozer. This is a young light heavyweight who's been around for quite some time. The Hulk, who's fought very good level of competition, hasn't quite raised up, is in his prime and is defending his legacy of the light heavyweight versus an ex-heavyweight, who's had some moments but couldn't cut it with the top 10 or so, had moved down to light heavyweight because he's a lot smaller guy. I thought that would pay a lot of dividends. This was a very toss-up fight for me. Ion took the win. I'm not too surprised. He Hulk rushed him like he typically does in the first round, was able to get the finish. I mean, it only took Ion 30 total insignificant strikes with the takedown, and Tanner only landed five total insignificant significant. But the Hulk has power. He's vicious. He's aggressive. He came out. He he wanted to get that finish, and Tanner couldn't withhold it. Brutal loss for Tanner. Uh, but Ion extends his three-fight losing streak, ends his three-fight losing streak, excuse me, starts a new winning streak, and Tanner extends his losing streak to two. He has not won since June of 2021. So for me, give me Kuta Lava. Give me Jim Crute. That's, that's a banger of two young guys in their prime. That's the fight to make. And for Tanner, I'm going to assume he stays at light heavyweight. Going back up to heavyweight doesn't make a ton of sense. So how about Tanner and Alonzo Menafield? Banger alert. Let's make that ish happen. A pretty damn solid main card for a, a free fight night card. Love it when it's in a different location, not the Apex. And this was one hell of a scrap. We had Azamat, Mirza Kanov with the unanimous decision over Dustin Jacoby. Again, a toss-up fight. Did not really want to pick it. I picked Dustin with the length, uh, kickboxing, and experience in the UFC. But Azamat, man, was just putting up big right-hand bombs. And he's a weird fighter, especially Dustin, who's so tall and lanky. He'll kind of sit out. And as he comes in, it, he has some weird body motion that has you guessing. And just, Boom! Big right hand. It comes in fast. It's, it's fucking unseen. There's not a lot of tell. He's not giving up the sign. But the way he moves, he just fucking comes in. His shoulders are always moving. And, and it's hard for you to diagnose. And he just kept coming at Dustin and landing those. And, and Dustin wasn't as highly active when it comes to volume as, as typical. He wasn't kickboxing a lot. Like the bigger, longer guy, as he coming in, I'm, put, I, I, I'm jabbing him. I'm kicking him. Some cheap kicks. I'm using that big right fucking leg kick that he's got putting it up high. I'm, I'm keeping them out. Like if you want to come in and try to throw that shit, I'm, I'm kicking you on your way in. But the way Azamat kind of rolls in anyways, if you're coming out of me, shelled up and the boom, that big right hand comes in so fast for a, for a big dude and, and, and a smaller guy. It, it's, it's kind of surprising. He's, he's a sneaky guy. He's a guy on the street. You'd try to fuck with and He'd fuck you up. And uh, you know, he's on an impressive tear. Dustin Jacoby is a high quality fighter. The guy's legit. And Azimot made it light work. In the first round, I thought there might be a finish. But props to Dustin, man, for a covering after damn near getting finished twice. Straight up got waxed in the first round and came out and, and tried to win the fight. Debatably, he could have won round two, round three, he gave it all he had, but Azamot came on strong, was just landed too many big shots. You know, Dustin's got one hell of a chin. Those kickboxers usually do, but Ozamat was putting it on him and, uh, that'll just take your cardio out and, and it just, no one wants to take those big shots. And that's really what happened. But I was very impressed after round one, how Dustin turned against adversity, still tried to win this fight. That's the heart of the warrior. I'm sur- sure we'll see him back. Although he's a little bit older, you know, has had some time off and a lot of adversity in his career. But now, anyone seeing this fight, dude, Mirza Khanov, you better watch the fuck out. Uh, Statistically, Dustin landed 96 total, 64 of those significant. He did have one takedown, although it was six attempts, so not very successful. And Azamat landed 70 total strikes, 67 of those significant. He did have one takedown and five attempts with the knockdown. So not a lot of takedowns. Azamat, a lot of that volume is round one. Again, Dustin tried to catch up, overlanded him, but even though he did... Azamat was still landing the big shots and then same in round three and he ran out of gas and azamat got the UD. So azamat extends his winning streak to 13. He stays undefeated as a pro. He is four and O in the UFC. He moves up four spots in the rankings to number 11. He's a problem. And for Dustin, he extends his losing streak to two. He is two and two since the beginning of 2022. And he moves down two spots in the rankings to number 15, Glad he's still ranked. He's still a problem. Either way, like I said, can't wait to see these guys back. Speaking of, give me Azamat and Paul Craig. Come on. Azamat with that power. Paul Berju is going to be rolling around looking to Hill Hook do some crazy shit. That would be a fun scrap. And for Dustin, how about Felipe Lins, who's been on a kind of resurgence, looking to come up into the rankings. That would be a must-see affair. Let's make that-ish happen, huh? Then the co-main, another man that's been around has highlight reels for days. Put a fucking statement out. Edson Barboza with a first round knockout over Billy Q, Billy Quarantillo. And Billy came out looking good, man. He was pushing the pace. He was looking confident. He's kind of toying with Edson. Edson's being calm, cool, collected, looking for the specific strikes. And, And he landed one, man. He landed a beautiful shot and it put Billy Q down. And that's what Barboza does. His leg kicks, his power, his knees up the middle. You got to be careful for any of it. And you know, he moved down uh, weight classes. He's he's kind of trying to find his place in his, in his later years. Barboza is, but he could still be a problem. He beat a very good Billy Quarantillo, and uh, he said, "Hey, you know, Edson's still alive. Uh, he's a guy I could see how shredded he is as long as he stays healthy. He doesn't take a lot of more shots. He could be fighting into his you know early 40s and still be a problem." But, again, another guy put some respect back on Barboza's name. Nobody's going to want to fuck with this guy. And it happened pretty quickly. I mean, Edson landed 21 total and significant strikes, had the knockdown. And Billy, before that, had 20 total strikes himself. 19 of those were significant. Was 0 for 2 in takedown attempts. And that's when uh, Billy got caught, I think, was trying to rush in and get another takedown attempt. And Barboza sniffed it out, and it was 9-9. So Edson starts a new winning streak. He ends his two-fight losing streak. He stays at 14 in the rankings. And Billy starts a new losing streak. He is 2-2 since the beginning of 2021. Again, Edson's a highlight reel. Let's keep this highlight going. Give him Sadiq Youssef. That would be another fucking highlight finish. I'm sure of it. And for Billy, a fight with Hakeem Dawudu. that would make fight fans everywhere happy. Either way, both these guys, you got to tune in. Must see TV. Talking about must-see TV, probably one of the best fighters you could watch. Like he says, if you want someone to get into fighting, just have them watch my fights. We had Max Holloway with the unanimous decision, a motherfucking clinic against Arnold Allen. And for me, coming into this fight, there was a weird vibe. So I had talked last week, Arnold possesses the power that gives uh, Max fits. Max, you look at his losses, Dustin Poirier, Conor McGregor... And Volkanovski, these are just these guys that are just as durable, will, will throw the volume back at you, but hit harder than Max does. Max is precise. He's quick, but he doesn't have that, you know, fuck you up power. Arnold does. But, that you know, that was the one thing where I wouldn't have been surprised if Arnold won, to be honest. Now, I'm a little biased towards Max. I, I guaranteed he would have won. I put him as a parlay winner. Um, I was confident in the fight. And coming through the week with the media, the ESPN+, Plus, whatever, you know, preview thing you could do to watch the Fight Nights kind of embedded version, Arnold kind of looks starstruck, to be honest. I mean, he's, just, he's probably just as big a fan of Max as anyone. He says he watches his fight. You could see the, um, you know, the the humbleness that he had and the way he treated Max post-fight. And he was just looking a little bit like, you know he fought like a killer. Don't get me wrong, but I, I I feel like he took. You know you can't respect your your idols when you're we're going to get across the cage. You gotta want to have that killer instinct, and I think some of that played part. But man, Arnold still fought his fight. He landed big time shots over and over again, and it's crazy with all the stats that and records that Max has beaten that he is still able to take those power shots against one of the guys that just fucks people up. A lot of those shots are putting most of this roster, most of this division out for sure. But Max has talked about it for years. The the reason he, you know, he doesn't say the reason I think I could take big shots, but you know, he's trying to last his career by not doing sparring the days coming in of Chuck Liddell and, you know, Randy Couture was like, let's fuck each other up and, and the, the dog's going to win. And you take all these unnecessary strikes and practice, some of the biggest strikes in practice before the fights. And Max doesn't even spar. He's he's saving himself hundreds, if not thousands of big time shots because he's not sparring. He knows how to fight. He knows what he's doing. He's still working on his hands. He's still putting himself in fight situations, still visualizing the fight. But he's not taking that unnecessary damage. And uh, that's got to be, you know, part of the reason he's still at this After all these fights, he's still relatively young, could take these shots. And Arnold definitely showed that he belongs to be the top of the division. He's going to be a problem. We already knew that. But he has now proved it, that he can withstand anybody in that division. And poor Volkanovsky, you know, his, his best guys keep getting wiped out by Max Holloway. But it was technically Holloway's division first. But it was a fucking scrap. It was a fight. Everything you would expect. The big shots by Allen, the movement, the combos, the fucking just pristine mma skill that was on showcased by max holloway i mean i'm in awe every time i watch the guy and people want to be like oh you know maybe it's too late he's taking too many shots it's not going to happen he will put on a show win lose or draw guaranteed i am just bummed the only time i saw him live was the third fight against volkanovsky where he got swept up and i felt a certain way about it as a fight fan you know you want to go in there and see a war you want to go see max get a w uh but goddamn he always shows out. He proved it with the IER. Now fighting at the interim. He's proved it for Arnold. I mean, these are championship material fighters, and-, and Max is out there doing the damn thing. Statistically, this will give you a good idea. Max landed 149 total strikes, 147 of those significant. Arnold landed 80 total and 76 significant. So Max starts another winning streak. He continues to break records. He stays at the number one contender going forward. Te- technically, he's number two because Yair's the interim and then Volk's the champ. Um, but he has gone 3-1 and one since the beginning of 2021. The only loss a la And Arnold has his 12-fight winning streak come to an end. He suffers his first UFC loss. He has 10-1 in the UFC. Again, he belongs. He's going to be a problem. But the problem in this division is what do you do with Max? He stays in featherweight. Volkanovsky, you know, tried to fight. Islam didn't, didn't get the win coming back to fight Yair, maybe he fights Islam in the future. But you can't really run back Islam, excuse me, Volkanovsky and Max. So Max talked about a fight he'd always wanted was a Korean zombie. The Korean zombie agreed on social media. I expect to see that fight. It's a, it's a great fight for fight fans. It's a good retirement fight for the, for the Korean zombie. I mean, at this point, he's beaten everyone else. So <laughs> what else do you do? And for Arnold, I think the best situation is let the division shake out a little bit. Uh, maybe they could get a matchup locked down with Brian Ortega. Uh, these are the two best guys in the division, if you ask me, outside of Max and Volk. I think that would be badass. So let's make that shit happen. Either way, Super Saiyan... I, I've always been calling Super Saiyan Max, Super Saiyan Goku. I think with his tenacity and the way he treats himself, he's more of a Vegeta, right? He's got the Bulma and his surfer wife. Uh, he, he's always aggressive. He's trying to, you know fucking showcase that he's better than you even Arnold at the end of the fight he was like yeah what because he almost knocked him out at the last 10 seconds when they were clanging and banging so we'll say super Saiyan Vegeta he's out there again he keeps leveling up proving people wrong and Arnold Allen man what a fucking heart what a fucking fighter can't wait to see these guys up again so this weekend we got another fight night event pretty shallow card that got even shallower and it's back in the apex I know we all love that I don't but it's a 4 p.m. Pacific uh, main card start on ESPN+. Plus. Prelims at 1, uh, also on ESPN+. Plus. Not going to break a lot of these fights down. They're meh fights, but you know, fun fights that are worth tuning into that we're not breaking down that could uh, withdraw some return on your investment, so to speak, of time. We have Francis Marshall, the Contender Series alum, taking on William Gomez. Junior Tafa and Muhammad Usman should be fun. Kamara Usman's little younger, bigger brother, uh, Ronnie Yaha, Montel Jackson, Ricky Glenn, Christos Giagos, and then Brogan Walker, the Ultimate Fighter alum, fighting um, Yasmin Lucindo. But we're kicking off in the prelims early. We got Brady Bam Bam Highstand, the 23-year-old with a seven and two record, taking on Batgirl Storm Dana, the 33-year-old with a 12 and four record. And the ages speak for themselves, a 10-year difference. We're getting the Ultimate Fighter alum out of Spokane, Washington, a finalist, taking on the veteran who's looking to get momentum back on his side in the UFC. And Brady is on a one-fight winning streak. He is 1-1 one and one in the UFC. He has a 2.5-inch leg reach advantage. And like I said, is an Ultimate Fighter finalist and alum. Dunya is an orthodox fighter. He trains at a Jackson Wink MMA. He is on a two fight losing streak and eight of his 12 wins are via knockout. The reason I'm excited for this fight is Brady clearly. Uh, but this is a good step up for, for the young Brady high stand, man. It's a good measuring stick for where he's at. He's fighting a striker first. So I'm sure he's going to mix in the grappling, you know, dig into his grappling well, but I am excited to see how much strike, how much Brady's striking has grown, how he's done on his feet because he definitely has a ton of potential he's Training with some studs. Uh, Michael Chiesa, Juliana Pena. I'm taking Bam Bam. We're putting them on that parlay. We mark that ish down and we getting that bread. Moving on. We got Carol Rosa, the 28-year-old fighter with a 16-4 record and the number nine next to her name. Taking on Norma Dumont, the 32-year-old fighter with an 8-2 and record and the number 13 next to her name. Now, you know, they're both ranked, so it's a fun matchup of two ranked women in the featherweight division that are definitely looking to move up the ranks, right? The, uh, a win here puts them in a good spot in the, in the mix of title contenders as they're both coming off wins, especially if they do it in dramatic fashion. Carol's a black belt in uh, BJJ, a dark blue belt in Muay Thai. She's on a one-fight winning streak, and she is 3-1 since the beginning of 2021. Two of her four losses are via submission. Now, Norma trains at a syndicate MMA. She has a brown belt in BJJ, a black belt in Sonda. She is a jungle fight alum. She is on a one-fight winning streak, and she is 3-1 since the beginning of 2021. And she does have a 2.5-inch leg reach advantage. Now, the USC Vegas odds on this are thinking the same shit I am. It's a pretty close fight. The odds are... Uh, minus 104, Carol Rosa, minus 120, Norma Dumont. I think both women are very similar in styles. Pretty solid striking, good grappling, well-rounded, not excellent anywhere. I think Norma, you know, has a little bit more experience. She's a a little bit older. Uh, They both have six fights in the UFC under their belt. But I like the ability of Norma as a striker and grappler just a little bit more. And um, I think, you know, it's going to be a close fight, probably going to go to decision um, but I think Norma's gonna find a way to get those points, outscore her. A decision here with a close fight, though, you never know what the judge is. But I am taking Norma, I am avoiding it on a parlay, all in all. And then we have the main card. We got the retirement fight for Bobby King Green, the Phoenix Pinnacle local. He trains at a gym a couple miles from my house. The 36 year old fighter with a 20 and 14 and 1 record taking on Jared Flash Gordon, the 34-year-old with a 19-6 and record. Well, both Bobby and Jared have had a little bit of a tough stretch. Bobby was suspended. He's on a two-fight losing streak, although it was against elite talent, and has announced that this will be his last fight before retirement. While Jared you know, had the Patty Pimlet fight, I thought he clearly won. Many did as well. Um, but... You know, that kind of gave him the most spotlight and awareness he's had of his career. But either way, they got some bad taste in their mouth. It should be a nasty, fun matchup. Bobby trains out of Pinnacle MMA. He's got a purple belt in BJJ. Three of his last five fights have been fight of the night or performance of the night. The motherfucker's a showman, and you got to tune in. He's got the most significant strikes in UFC lightweight history with 1,477. The most total strikes landed in UFC lightweight history, 1,695. And if you're not that familiar of the lightweight division, the talent over years has oozed out. So to be the leader in these categories is unreal. He's on a two-fight losing streak and is two and three since the beginning of 2021. He does have a three-inch reach advantage, and 10 of his 29 wins are via knockout. Now, Jared trains out of Kill Cliff FC. He has a brown belt in BJJ. He's a cage fury alum. He is also on a one fight losing streak and is one and two since 2022. And four of his six losses are via knockout. Now, in my opinion, this is going to be a glorified retirement party for Bobby Green. Unless Jared comes out straight to grappling and could hold him down, which I doubt happens. Bobby's improved there. He fought Islam. He fought some grapplers. He's been focused on that part. I'm sure he is for this camp as well. But Bobby's hands are too damn fast. He's going to land some big shots, keep that another knockout on his career, and give uh, Jared another knockout loss. I'm taking Bobby. We putting King Green on our parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Moving on, we have Brad Tavares, the 35-year-old fighter with a 19 and 8 record, taking on Bruno Blindada Silva. Um, whoops the 33-year-old fighter with a 22-8 record. Now, another fun scrap. I mean, two vets in their prime, putting it on the line to have one more run up the rankings in them as they were both in the top 15, just got outed, trying to find their way back in it. And Brad, he trains out of extreme couture. He is a tough 11 alum, straight OG. He has the most decision wins in UFC middleweight division history with 12 the most unanimous decision wins in the division at nine and the fourth highest decision wins per uh, decision wins per win percentage in the UFC history at 86%. Not necessarily the best things that have on the record, but he's winning. He's been around. He's on a one fight losing streak and he is two and one since the beginning of 2021. Bruno has a black belt in BJJ. He is a tough Brazil alum and an M one alum He's on a two-fight losing streak. He is 3-2 since the beginning of 2021. 19 of his 22 wins are via knockout, and 6 of his 8 losses are via submission. Now, this is another fight of very similar style fighters. I think Bruno's going to have the ability to catch Brad in a slugfest, but I do think Brad looks to stick to the game plan that he had against du Duplessis. He's going to put Bruno up against the cage, look to mix in a few takedowns just to keep him guessing, you know, grind Bruno out because he does have some serious power, Um, and I'm sure Bruno's going to come out throwing some big bombs in the first couple of rounds. I think Brad adds to his records of another unanimous decision, middleweight division uh, decision victory. Um, It's going to be a fun fight, though. Both guys are going to scrap. They have the heart and gas tanks for days. I'm taking Brad. I am not putting him on a parlay, though. And then we were supposed to have the Song Yadong uh, Ricky Simone bantamweight affair, which is, I'm stoked about. But that got moved to the main event for next weekend's fight night. So, that, again, uh, not a super deep card, decent, decent card, but it got more shallow. And it puts us right into the main event. We got Sergey Pavlovich, the 30 year old killer with a 17 and 1 record and the number three next to his name, taking on Curtis Razorblades the 32-year-old fighter with a 17-3 and record, and the number four next to his name. Now, this is going to be straight chaos. It's going to be a banger. It's in the apex with a smaller cage. I would be shocked, absolutely shocked, if this lasted to the judges' scorecards. Breaking it down, Sergey trains out of Eagles MMA. He's a Fight Nights Global alum and former champion. Three of his last five fights have been performance of the night. Straight, like, 30-second finishes. Again, this man is a savage. Uh, 14 of his 17 wins are via knockout. He's on a five-fight winning streak. He is 5-1 in the UFC. His only loss coming from a juiced-up Alistair Overeem in his UFC debut. And he has a four-inch reach advantage. Now, Curtis has a wrestling background winning a JUCO championship out of Harper College. He trains at an elevation fight team. He is on a three-fight winning streak. His only losses are Derek Lewis and Francis Ngannou in the UFC and in his pro career, twice to Francis, once to Derek. Twelve of his seventeen wins are via knockout. Three of his three losses are via knockout. Typical heavyweight to knock out or to be knocked out. I really do think Curtis is the full fucking package for heavyweight. I think Sergey is just different, though, man. He packs more of a punch. He's more durable. I think this is going to be one of the wildest two minutes in heavyweight history. It could go anywhere from there. It's going to, who's have, going to be, who has more in the gas tank? Can either guy get each other down? Do they even try? I expect these guys to clang and fucking bang. And if Curtis does give some takedown attempts, it won't be a lot. And I don't expect them to be very successful. Sergey's is a problem. He different. I'm taking Pavlovich. I am not putting him on a parlay though. Not that confident, but it's a scrap in the small cage. This is something we're going to see go viral over and over for years and years. And, uh, yeah, n- nice little fight night card, little local card. Vegas will be popping. You got Apex Action, the Garcia fight. Um, again, Bellator also happening. And then next week we have another Apex card. Again, the headliner got changed. We got Song Yadong, Ricky Simone. Not a very deep card, but it's also happening at 4 p.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. prelims on ESPN+ gotta be ESPN plus subscriber, but that's it for episode 128, again, the end of the, or the beginning of May, I will have an official date on the rebrand, we're, 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 we're making moves, we're adjusting, we're coming, again, thanks for tuning in, episode 128, I'm your host, Shane Gillette, see you next week.